Hi friends, Gerald Law here. Welcome to the Love Lake Norman podcast. Love Lake Norman is a church in Cornelius, North Carolina, whose mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. You're about to hear a message that will be helpful and hopeful. Our goal is to encourage you to take the next step in your faith. Wherever you are, we want you to know that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Thanks for spending time with us today. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, guys. How's everybody? Good? Yeah? Um, Really grateful to our worship team for leading us so well. Hey, uh, last week, if you were here, uh, and even if you weren't, let me let you know this, we asked you guys to submit some questions. And what we said was this, we just want to, we say it all the time, we want to be a church where it's okay to ask your questions. And it's okay to ask your questions, especially that you have for God or about God. And we invited you to ask questions to God uh, last week and and submit them. Some of you guys did that. And and I just want to like share a few of them. I'm not going to sit here and try to answer answer these today. Um, but, but these are, we're just going to kind of scroll through a few of them. These are some of the questions that you ask. And they're really important questions. Um, they're, they're big questions. Do pets go to heaven? You should have been here like a month ago. We answered that question, actually. Um, so uh, we just think it's really important for, for all of us to be able to voice our questions, for all of us to be able to say, hey, I have questions. I don't have it all figured out. Um, we all do. I do. Uh, and so um, these are some of them. And my hope along the way in this series called Jesus Up Close, uh, as we study the book of John, together is that when we walk through these, uh, like some of these questions, maybe not all of them, but some of them will get some answers. Like some of them, I believe that God will speak to the areas of your heart that where, where you're asking questions and that he'll connect where, where you need connection. He'll answer where you need response. And so we just always want to be a church where you can say, hey, I don't have it all figured out because guess what? None of us do. And, and that's like, no, the, the only thing that's not allowed here is like perfect people, okay? Because nobody's perfect. So um, we just want to be able to say, let's ask questions, let's wrestle together, um, let's ask them to one another, let's share them. And so I hope along the way we're going to get a sense um, of God kind of in bringing some responses to some of these questions. So we're continuing this series today, and I was thinking about this message this week and thinking about actually uh, uh, both of our goddaughters uh, ha- were, were uh, there's one of them right there. Um, she loves to be pointed out. So uh, uh, they were both born with heart issues and, uh, and had, have had multiple procedures and, and surgeries, especially Jemiah here over the years, had multiple kind of surgeries going on and procedures and things happening with her heart. And, and then uh, a while back, maybe a year uh, and a half ago, the doctors just decided there's just not much more we can do with, with this heart. It was kind of falling uh, apart and she was functioning at like 25% capacity. Um, which is wild, you know, like 25% that your heart could even do that, but her heart was just working so hard. And, and the doctors finally uh, got to the point where they're like, we can't do anything with this, and, and she really needs a new heart. Like, she really needs a new transplant. And so she got on a transplant list in March of last year and, uh, and waited and waited, and we had some potential matches that didn't go through, and it was a, a lot of intense uh, feelings and things going on around, around that time. And finally... They called and said, we think we've got the right match for Jemiah. And uh, October 3rd of last year, so a little, a little over a year from, uh, from now, she had a full-on heart transplant. I mean, that's amazing. And, and so she's functioning with 100% uh, heart, a, a heart that works at 100% level now. And it's incredible. I mean, the science and the, the doctors and the nurses, I mean, everybody around that is just absolutely unbelievable how that, how that works. And it was um, truly like a life-saving 
thing for her. And it's the closest parallel that I can come to when I try to understand and try to explain what is it that Jesus wants to do in my life? Like, what is it that Jesus really wants to do in in your life? What, What he really wants is to not just change your behavior, not just to tweak a few things here and there. He wants to trade your heart out for something new. In fact, the scriptures say this, uh, it, it says in 2 Corinthians, it says that um, when Paul was reflecting on this, he said, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. He's given you not only just a little bit better of a life, but he wants to give you a new life. He wants to give you a new heart. He wants to do new things inside of you. And so um, uh, John the Apostle, uh, so he, he wrote this book, uh, one of the Gospels, the Gospel of John. And, and when he wrote it, he was an older guy, like the other Matthew, Mark, and Luke kind of wrote those when they were young and, and pretty soon after Jesus. Well, John was uh, the only one of the apostles that was not martyred for his faith. He was actually exiled to an island called Patmos, and he lived out his days on this island, and so the, when, when he was there, he, uh, he, he kind of grew older, and he started writing, and he wrote down the story of Jesus. And, and so when he wrote this, he was older, he had this perspective on life, and he was able to look at it and go, okay, here's what was really going on. Here's what was happening. I know you have the book of Mark. I know you have Matthew and Luke. They've written their gospels, and, and those are all true. All those things happen, and I'm gonna add this perspective to, uh, to the story, and I wanna tell you about Jesus, and so he also had this perspective of the fact that his friends had been, a lot of them had been martyred and killed, uh, but he'd also seen thousands of people come to know Jesus, like thousands of people come um, to, to, to know him. And so he, uh, he, he was, um, like the church grew. He saw all those things and he writes from that perspective. And one of the things that he begins to write about is uh, another guy named John. This gets a little confusing. Another guy named John, he was, they were actually both cousins of Jesus uh, to add another layer to it. But John the Baptist was around and John the Baptist had come and he had started to, to preach this uh, gospel of repentance, preach this message of repentance. He said, come and, and be forgiven and uh, you need to repent of your sin. And he would baptize people as a picture of that. And so thousands, probably thousands of people were following this guy named John the Baptist, a lot of followers, and he had this opportunity, I would say, John the Baptist did, to pull all these people close to himself and to to develop this whole thing around him. But he consistently points to Jesus. He consistently points to him. In fact, there's a place in John uh, chapter three, we talked about John three last week in the story of Nicodemus, but after that, uh, it's, it's a little bit more about John the Baptist. And, and by the way, like we, we're not going through every single verse in the book of John, so we want you to read it. Like I, my invitation to you is to read it on your own because you're gonna get so much more out of it than just 20 minutes here, right? But um, he says this amazing thing that I think if we held on to this with our life, it would be incredible. Like if this was, you decided, this is gonna be my verse for my life. John 3.30 says, uh, like, like um, John, the ba- or John the Baptist said this, he said, he must increase and I must decrease. He said, he must increase and I must decrease. In other words, Jesus must increase in my life and I must decrease in my life. Maybe you're in a place today where you feel like I need that to be true, but it's not. Right now I'm on the increase and it feels like Jesus is on the decrease. Well, he needs to increase and I need to decrease. And so that's the setup for the story that we begin in, um, in, in John chapter four, where he has this interaction that I want to share with you this morning that I think is, is, is uh, remarkable. It's remarkable. And it starts, um, it starts like this. Um, we might not have the right slides. Yeah. 
You want me to go to the Bible? I got to read the, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to actually my Bible. <laughs> I, I have no doubt that, uh, like I share notes, this, and, I, and I, I completely, I'm sure, jacked this up. This up. Um, no fear, I got them written right here. John chapter four, verses two through four says it like this. Now I just need my reading glasses. Um, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. And so he left Judea and he went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. Now, I wanna stop right there because some, this, is, this is actually a really significant sentence. He had to go through um, Samaria. Samaritans and Jews had this very, very tense relationship. They lived, Samaritans lived kind of outside in Samaria, but they were close by, but they had a rough history. It probably started back in like 8 BC where, where Samaritans had invaded uh, Israel and they had taken some of the Jewish people back with them to, to live with them. They'd taken them captive and they began to actually marry one another. And so they had this sort of uh, uh, interracial kind of thing going on and they mixed religions together. And so Jews from Israel looked at Samaritans in this day and age, and they looked at them as pagans and these sort of religious, like, like half-breeds is how they looked at them and total, total heretics. And so often though, Jews would have to travel through Samaria. They would have to go, to go through. And, and so uh, instead of going right through, a lot of them would choose to go around because they weren't supposed to associate with these people. They didn't wanna associate with these people. And so most of them because of uh, really like racism and hatred and, and just, just, just sort of these, they were both enemies together. They, they would avoid one another. And so, in verse five, here's what happens. Like, like Jesus says, Jesus had to go the, the route he was going. He was gonna go back to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria. And so Jesus um, decides to go through. He decides to go through. He's like, I'm not going around. There's a reason that I wanna go through. In verse five, it says, he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon, okay? So uh, we, we don't get a lot of that in the Old Testament, actually, about Jacob and the well, but this is apparently a place where Jacob from the Old Testament used to hang out, so it's kind of a well-known area. And, uh, and, and so Jesus stops in the middle. He starts to go through, but then he stops. He gets tired. Isn't it wild that Jesus gets tired? Do you ever think about things like that? Like he eats food, he gets tired. He's human, I mean like he's 100% human, 100% God, but his humanity, it's, it's incredible to see. He gets tired from the trip and he sits down. So he's either tired or he's got this idea that I've got an appointment coming up, like this divine appointment, or maybe it's both, right? He's tired and he knows I've got this connection that I want to make. And, and it's about noon. Uh, um, uh, six hours, it says the sixth hour in, in some of the translations. And what they did was when they started with time, their day, they would start it, they would count when the sun came up about six o'clock and they would start counting from there. And so the sixth hour was about noon. That's gonna be important. Remember that for just a minute here. And so um, he sits down, verse seven, it says that when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her. Um, actually, let me stop right there. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus spoke to her. Now, 
Two strikes already with this person walking up to him. One of them was that she was a Samaritan. It was a Samaritan. And I've already told you a little bit about that. The second was this. It was a woman in a public place. And, and uh, Jewish men of integrity did not speak to women. This is just in the culture. Did not speak to women in public. And Jesus is about to break two rules. All right? Like two cultural norms, two rules, because he's going to talk to a Samaritan woman. Let me just tell you this. Jesus does not care about cultural norms. He does not care about cultural norms. He doesn't care. Um, you ever see the video, uh, there's like a YouTube video that was going around a few years ago of there was a guy, it was like at a music festival, everybody's sitting out on the lawn and this guy, you're nodding like, yeah, that was you. It was John Donahue. Um, <laughs> no, there's a guy out there and he's just dancing, right? You know, like the guy's dancing, no one else around him is dancing and he looks like a crazy person. You know, he's just doing all this dancing and like, I mean, he's like in it. He's not worried about what anybody else is thinking. He's just like in it, you know, dancing all over the place. And, and, and somebody's filming him and then, all of a sudden, one person comes up and joins them, right? And they start dancing, and he's like, yeah, and he pulls them in, and they start dancing. And then like two more come up, and then like a bunch of people all of a sudden get up, and they all, and like, the whole place eventually is dancing, but it took that one guy. Jesus is like that one guy. He doesn't care about what should be done or what's supposed to be. He's that one guy who's inviting us into something better. That's what he's doing here. That's what he's like. Jesus will do anything to reach people. He's gonna do anything to reach people. And, and, and so he begins to talk with this woman. So the, the, the Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said this to her. Will you give me a drink? Will you give me a drink? It says his disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and, you, uh, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. John gives us a lot of parenthetical statements here. He kind of gives us, again, these little asides. John's really good at that. He says, hey, here's what's going on. Jews didn't associate with Samaritans uh, uh, at all. But Jesus says, will you give me a drink? Um, a drink. The disciples have gone to lunch and, uh, and Jesus has stayed back, like I said, because he's tired and she's so surprised that he would even talk to, to her. She's like, she's like, you're not supposed to talk to me. She knew the rules. Like, like I, you're not supposed to be talking to me right now. Don't you know you could get into trouble? It bears saying every time this happens in the scriptures that every place that Jesus interacts with a woman, he elevates her status. Every single place in the scripture where you see Jesus interacting with a, with a woman, he elevates her status. He doesn't push her down like the rest of culture is doing, society is doing. He elevates her. Mary and Martha and his mom and Mary Magdalene, and like, like the woman who you know, came to the, t like the empty tomb first was the first person sent back to tell people about Jesus. Like the first evangelist was a woman. And so every place that Jesus interacts with a woman, he elevates her status. I think that's really important for us to know and to recognize. He sees that and he sees her for who she is. She's like, how can you ask me for a drink? And Jesus answered her by saying, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and, and he would have given you living. And he would give you living water. He would give you living water. And she says, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water. 
Where can you get this living water? And so Jesus, again, sees no um, racial distinction. He sees her for who she is. He sees her race and he looks beyond that and he goes, hey, you may look different. You may have a different accent. You may have a different history. We may be, at, our people may be at war with one another, but he sees her soul. He sees her heart. He sees what's going on deep inside. And he makes this connection with her there. He's like, that's the most important thing. Not all of the other stuff. That's the most important thing. Every person you see, you know that every person you lock eyes with, every person you see in here, every person you see at the store later, every person that you see is someone who needs Jesus. Every person you see is someone who needs Jesus. Um, can I uh, give my own aside here for a minute, for a minute and just say that um, like the Middle East needs Jesus more than anything else right now. The Middle East needs Jesus more than anything else right now. Every Israeli, every Palestinian, and this situation that's happening is complex and it's overwhelming and it's hard to understand, but can we just remember that we are for the way of Jesus and in every situation, he makes things better. So I'm praying and I wanna invite you to pray for like his peace, his authority and his kingdom and that the gates of hell won't prevail there. And so Jesus says he looks at the Samaritan woman who's so different in so many ways from him and from these people that are around Jesus, he looks past all that other stuff and directly at her heart. Jesus is concerned above all else with the condition of your heart. Jesus is concerned above all else with the condition of, of your heart and mine. So the story goes on, verse 11. Sir, the woman said, you've nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well that we're drinking from and he drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock? Like, are you greater than Jacob? She doesn't understand. And this is another theme in the book of John. Like, like people just don't understand who Jesus is. We, we talked about Nicodemus and if you missed that last week, just go back and read John three. It's one of the most incredible chapters in all of the Bible. And this, this conversation, and we get John, like the most famous verse of all, John 3, 16 from that passage. But Nicodemus, who's the religious leader, like he's the leader of leaders in the Jewish faith, he doesn't understand. And then this woman who's, uh, who's a pagan woman, she doesn't uh, understand. And, and, and it's because he's doing something completely different. He's come to do something completely different. And so verse 13, he says, Everyone who drinks this water, like this water that we're drinking right now, everybody that drinks this water is gonna be thirsty again. You're gonna come back tomorrow and you're gonna get more water because you need water for your physical thirst to be quenched. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Clearly, he's not talking about physical thirst, right? Because we all get thirsty every single day. In fact, um, so, <clears throat> it's good. It's good. I, uh, every once in a while, I'm just saying, don't email me about this. Every once in a while, not all the time, but like, I, I, I think a couple months ago, I was, uh, I played golf. This is how big I wasn't like I was, I was, 
doing backbreaking work. I, but I, I had walked, I think it was really hot, and I've been out there for a bunch of hours and I hadn't had anything to drink, and I'm like, I had to go run some errands, and so I'm like, I know what I'm gonna do. I'm going to get a Diet Coke, but not just from anywhere. I'm going to McDonald's to get the Diet Coke, because if you know, you know. Like, uh, uh-huh, right. It hits different. Like, McDonald's Diet Coke is incredibly thirst quenching. And some of you guys are probably gonna go there today just because I held this up there. It's like, um, it's incredibly thirst quenching. And I got the diet and it just was so good when you're hot, right? Like, you know how when you're so thirsty, there's just, you can't do anything else. It doesn't matter if the house is on fire. It doesn't matter, like, I, gotta ha- I got to have something right now. That's how I was that day. Your soul, <laughs> Uh, might really be parched today. I think that Jesus walked, uh, uh, that woman walked up to him and Jesus immediately realized, you know, she's coming here to get water, but, but it's her soul that's the most important thing. Like her, her soul needs quenching, it's thirst. And your soul might be parched today. And, and, and some of that reason is because we um, try to quench that thirst in different ways. Um, you might be trying with relationships and maybe one person doesn't do it for you and so you move on and then you realize that doesn't do it for you either and so you move on again and, and it's just this pattern that's become a habit for you of trying to quench thirst with someone else. You might be trying to do that with success uh, where I, I just need to be successful and then I'll have fulfillment and you can't quite get there and you don't know why. You might be trying to do it with your bank account. You might be trying to do that with fun, you know, actually, which is great. We love to have fun. But you might be just trying to do, like, every great experience, every, you know, experience I can have, I'm going to have. And I'm going to try to explore everything because I'm trying to quench a thirst deep down in my soul. And every time you do something, it doesn't work. Your soul might be feeling parched today. You know, there's a thirst in your soul that only God can satisfy. Like there's a thirst in your soul that only God can satisfy. The Diet Coke from McDonald's ain't gonna do the trick. So she um, starts to get it. She starts to, to get it, at least. She says to him, he says, there's just gonna be a spring of water willing up to eternal life. That's, that's what I'm offering you. And she says, um, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Please give me this water so I, I, I um, won't have to get thirsty again. And so Jesus goes, okay, you're not quite there. Let me take a different tactic. And so Jesus says this, he tells her, go call your husband and come back. Now, um, on first glance, that feels random, Jesus. Like, like we're talking about water and thirst and the well, and, and uh, then you say, go and call your husband. What are you doing? But Jesus is getting ready to show her this place in her life where she has been trying to quench a thirst that is unquenchable by what she's been doing. He's getting ready to point out this place. And so did he go off topic? Actually, no, he's completely on point. He says, um, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband. She replied, and Jesus said to her, you're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you have had 
five husbands and the man you now have is, is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Ah, we learned something about her in the moment. I said that it was noon. The typical day of, of gathering water, the typical time, and, and just imagine yourself in that situation where you have to go and get water from a, a well, maybe outside of the town, you would go first thing in the morning. You need water, right? And so you'd go first thing in the morning, and so the women would go and take their water buckets and, and their, the leather pouches and the, the things they would keep water in, and they would carry them out to the well, and they would do that for necessity. They would also do that for community. So if you can imagine, all the women get up and all at the same time, they kind of walk out to the well together, and what do you think they're doing? I mean, they're not going in single file silence. <laughs> they're talking, right? They're talking to each other, they're catching up. They're like, finally, I can get away from my husband for a while and come hang out with you. Uh-huh, yeah, they're having coffee together. You know, like, that's what they're doing. And they're gossiping, right? And they're, and they're catching up on the latest news. Now, this woman came at noon. Why would she do that? Jesus just helps us understand why. She's been an outcast. And she's like, I would rather come at the most inconvenient time of the day when it's hot and when I've already needed water anyway than have to submit myself and subject myself to talking about all of the stuff I don't want to talk about. And so I'm going alone. She's an outcast. We can do that for a while, you know, like, like we can hide from each other. Uh, but you can't hide from Jesus. And that's actually a really, really good thing. Like we can hide from one another, but we can't hide from Jesus. And now, um, so uh, what you said is quite true. And so she says, Sir, um, I can see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She sort of changed the subject, you know. But he goes with it. Woman, Jesus replied. And it's not like woman. It's just a term of endearment. Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. And yet a time is coming and is now come when the true worshipers, he says, listen, will, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth truth. And what is happening is this old religion versus the way of Jesus. Like, do you know that he is coming to introduce an entirely new paradigm? Like an entirely new covenant? He's coming to change things completely. He's coming to turn things upside down. He's not just tweaking the, the, the system. He is blowing it up and turning it into, like, into a whole new thing. And he's saying, hey, yeah, you kind of tend to think, well, it's about where you worship, right? You worship on the mountain, we worship in the temple, you know, it's about where, and he's going, no, 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 no. It's about who and the where. It's gonna happen in you. It's gonna happen in you. She's kind of stuck 
with location. And we kind of do that too with the church, right? Like, oh, I'm going to church today. I'm going to serve at the church. Uh, I'm worshiping at the church. All of those things, we, we get stuck on location. Jesus is like, uh, you know, he's saying God is calling people to acknowledge him. He's calling all people to acknowledge him. And it's not about a building. It's not about showing up to a dusty old building and, and, and worship, and that's where worship happens. No, he's talking about the building inside your life. He's talking about your heart. He's talking about the temple of your heart. That's where he wants to reside. And he's inviting himself into the temple that is your heart. That's where he wants to live. So Jesus says, um, the true worshipers are gonna be worshiping in spirit and in truth, knowing that the presence of God is with them and so um, verse 25 the woman says this I know that um, she says I know Messiah who's called Christ is coming and when he comes he's going to explain everything to us thirsty When he comes, he's gonna explain everything to us and Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. You're talking about Messiah, I'm the Messiah. He comes out and says it. He comes out and he, he says it like the big reveal. I am he, the Messiah, I'm that guy. Like I'm him. Um, amazing. You see the, 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 the work up into this place, and that's um, the work that often he does in our own lives, dealing with kind of the outward I issues, but his invitation is into your heart, into your life. What does Jesus want? He wants, um, he wants your heart. He wants your heart, and so in, in, in verse 28, um, she, she leaves her water jar. Like, like then, leaving her water jar, the, like, like, almost like she ran, you know, she put it down and she ran back. And the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and they made their way toward him. Um, who can you do that for? Like she dropped everything and ran because she's like, I have to tell them what's going on. Maybe she starts to talk to people she hasn't talked to in a while. I have to tell them what's going on. She drops everything and she goes, and she says, come and see. You may actually remember this from John chapter uh, one, where the first disciples, the first followers, they just kind of said to each other, uh, we found the Messiah. And they're like, no, we didn't. And they're like, come and see, come and see, come and see. It's the invitation of faith. It's the invitation of a disciple. Come and see. And my question to you, if you follow Jesus today, and I never assume everyone in the room does, um, and if you're exploring things, we're so glad you're here. We want you to step in because we just think it's the best way to live life is by um, allowing Jesus to have your heart. But for those of us who said, yes, who are you inviting, right? To come and see, come and see, come and see. It's the greatest invitation you can extend to someone. So she goes running back in joy and excitement and enthusiasm and wonder and says, I think we found, I think he's here. Like in Samaria. I know you think I'm crazy, but I think he's here, right here. And then in 39, like verse 39, it just says, this is the last passage I'll read. It just says this. It says that many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. And so 
When the Samaritans came to him, they came to Jesus, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers and they said to the woman, you know, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Um, Now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. All because Jesus decides to take a different route and to step into a place where he knew there was gonna be tension, he knew there was gonna be trouble, and he didn't care. Because what does Jesus want? What did he want? He wanted her heart. He wanted to capture the hearts of those Samaritans. What does he want from you? What does he want from me? He wants our heart, he wants your heart. That's what he wants first. He doesn't care about your past. He doesn't care about your history, distant or recent. He doesn't care what you look like. He doesn't care what country you're from. Um, In fact, we have a lot in common with the Samaritan woman. Like we have a lot in common with the Samaritan woman. Some of you feel shame that's debilitating and it has wrecked you in some ways. And Jesus is ready to say, there's freedom from that shame. There's freedom. You don't have to live that way any longer. And he offers that to her. What does Jesus want? He wants your heart. So let me give you four things, like, like four steps, three steps actually in a question that I wanna close with today. One of the um, steps is this. Uh, it's simply knowing that Jesus has come out of his way to reach you. Would you just wrap your brain around that for a minute today? Know that Jesus has come out of his way. He's gone out of his way to reach you. He's gone out of his way to reach you. And out of his way wasn't just like coming into a different part of town. He came from heaven to earth to reach you, to reach me. He went to the cross way out of his way to reach you and me. He died there for you and me and he rose again for you and me. There's no further out of the way than that, but he came out of his way to reach you. That should tell you something about his love for you. Second thing is this, understand that you're infinitely valuable to Jesus. The Samaritan woman who uh, every other Jewish leader around him had just walked right by. And in fact, they didn't value, you know, it's hard to value one another even if we're all the same or whatever, but understand that you are infinitely valuable to Jesus. John, the writer here, um, throughout the gospel, he calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. The the one that Jesus loved. Sometimes he'll say, um, he was sitting beside the one that he loved. Uh, In other words, the beloved is another way to say that, but sitting beside the one that he loved. And we tend to think, that's pretty cocky, man. Like, you're the one Jesus loves, but the reality is that that was his deepest understanding of his own identity. Was it, oh yeah, beyond being a, a husband and a father and a coach and a, uh, a, um, a friend and a worker, um, I'm the one that he loves. What does that look like for that identity to, to, to be taken on by you? Maybe that's your prayer this week. God, would you just help me to understand that, that you love me? Would you help me to understand what that means? 
Would you help me to really live in that? Like live out of that place of your love. The third thing is this, Jesus wants to radically change your life, okay? There's no um, hiding that. There's, there's no uh, explaining that away. He wants to radically change your life from the inside out. Like he wants to start with your heart and move outward and impact like everything. And that's a good thing. And then just a question for you. Um, are you sharing about Jesus with joy and wonder? Are you sharing about Jesus with joy and, and wonder? My challenge to you is like, there's some empty seats in here today, right? Like, could we fill those up? Could we say to our friends, come and see? Could we be bold enough to simply say, hey, just come and, come and see? And it's not about uh, who's playing in the band or who's preaching or who's doing anything. It's about we're gonna come and see Jesus because we believe his presence is here and we're gonna invite you in because we just think it's worth it to take the risk. This woman dropped everything and ran back to the people who had probably, some of those who had outcast, who had, who had made her you know, live on the outside of their life. And she said, you gotta come and see. And you know what happened? Jesus came and he stayed with them for two days and so many of them believed because of that one act by that woman. Incredible. And I bet that when they looked back at their spiritual history, those Samaritans. I bet when they looked at the timeline of their spiritual history, when they looked at their own hearts, they put a mark on that date of the calendar and said, that was the day that my life changed. That was the day. I bet that could be a date on the calendar for you. I bet that could be a date on the calendar for the people that I know that I need to reach out to and invite. I bet that could be a date in their spiritual history that changes the trajectory of their lives forever. Are you sharing about Jesus with joy and wonder? That's just all we're called to do. The rest is up to him. Thanks again for listening. You can find out more about Love Lake Norman at lovelkn.org. If you live in our area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday. If you're not near our church, we want to encourage you to find a life-giving church to be a part of where you live. That will be a key next step on your spiritual journey. Please take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, and keep up to date with our weekly messages. And thanks again for joining the Love Lake Norman podcast.